Time for Recollection. The National Broadcasting Company invites you to relax and reminisce with Recollections from the early days of radio. In this special series, we delve into the vast NBC library of sound to relive the memorable moments of radio's past, the stars who entertained you then, the special events that thrilled you, and to guide us through these priceless recollections. Here is Ed Hurley. Thanks, Fred Collins, and good evening, everyone. This is our half hour to do a little dreaming, to relive some great moments of radio back through the years. Of course, what amounts to recollections for many of us are at the same time new experiences for others. And from the mail I receive, there are thousands of those others, namely high school and college students who meet these performers of years ago for the first time right here on Recollections. Well, tonight, in answer to repeated requests for something classical from our vast NBC library of sound, we'll hear Marian Anderson's first network broadcast, just as it took place 21 years ago. And to drop a couple of more names you'll hear tonight, you'll hear Shirley Temple and Greta Garbo. But let's push back a few more years for this first song. It's 1928. Paul Whiteman's orchestra is featuring the Rhythm Boys. So listen closely. Bing Crosby was one of them. Every day was
Whiteman's Orchestra and Bing Crosby singing with the Rhythm Boys. That was long before Crosby became a national institution. Well, back in the 30s, radio began to draw upon the vast amount of talent that Hollywood had built up. And ever since, movie stars have also been in demand as radio stars. There was one, however, who remained aloof and thereby created a legend. Her name, Greta Garbo. To recall Garbo at the height of her career, we must rely on the soundtrack of one of her films. It's her famous portrayal of Camille. This is the scene in which Armand's father, played by Lionel Barrymore, by the way, begs the romantic lady to give up his son. Greta Garbo and Lionel Barrymore in Camille. Of course, you don't think me worthy of your son. You're right, I'm not. No. No woman is worthy of a man's love who's willing to let him ruin himself for her, as you're doing. I don't know what you've heard, but it isn't true. Armand has told me himself that he wants to take his modest fortune out of my hands at once. The reason is obvious, isn't it? Can you deny he wants the money for you? Whatever the reason, I hope you won't let him have it, monsieur. I wish I could believe you are sincere. A few years ago, I lived on bread and soup. I can manage very well without taking anything from Armand. How long have you known Armand, madame? Three months and 12 days, monsieur. Three months and 12 days. And how long do you expect this thing to last? Oh, you've never known love to last, monsieur. Never, when it was unsanctified by marriage, unblessed by children or social ties. I shall love Armand always. And I believe he shall love me always, too. Always? Always. Hasn't your own experience taught you the human heart can't be trusted? I think I know my own heart better than you can, monsieur. No woman, unprotected as you are, can afford to give the best years of her life to a man who, when he leaves her, will leave her with nothing, and who is certain to leave her in the end. I don't suppose you can understand how any woman, unprotected as you say I am, can be lifted above self-interest by a sentiment so delicate and pure that she feels only humiliation when you speak of such things. But even so, I say, it can't go on. But it will go on. Armand is a young man with his way to make, with a career waiting for him. And in his case, he can't serve his best interests by being tied to a woman he can't present to his family or his friends. Armand is no different than other men. Oh, come, madame. Be honest. Haven't you found him different? Haven't you found him more sensitive, more loyal? Or am I prejudiced because I'm his father? No. No, no, Armand is different. And so, you see, as long as Armand loves you, he'll not enter rooms that you can't. But a man can go back. He can always go back. Monsieur, suppose I told you I have the feeling I shan't live very long. Well, then I'd scold you for being fanciful and little foolish. What you probably feel is the melancholy of happiness. That mood that comes over all of us when we realize that even love can't remain at flood tide forever. With him, you're both doomed. Without a profession of any sort, what can he do? Unless he sinks so low, he's willing to let some other man foot the bills for his life with you. 
You don't know I'm on. You wouldn't say that. No one knows the man he might become if he loses his self-respect. But I think that's too high a price to pay even for love. I want Armand to enjoy life, not to be sacrificed to it. You see, my son is as dear to me as he possibly can be to you. Greta Garbo and Lionel Barrymore in a scene from the 1936 movie Camille. There's another Hollywood star who captured the hearts of everyone and like Garbo has never been equaled. Little Shirley Temple. What a sensation she was. Well, this is how she sang in 1934 in the movie Bright Eyes. On the good ship, lollipop, it's sweet trip to a candy shop where bonbons play. On the sunny beach of Peppermint Bay, lemonade stands everywhere, crackers down. Shirley Temple singing one of her most famous numbers in 1934. And I read in the papers just this week that Shirley is going to do some TV in the fall. Miss Temple brings another great performer to mind, the mighty Bill Robinson, Bo Jangles, who tapped his way through so many of Shirley's pictures. Here's Bill on January the 2nd, 1937, on the NBC program Shell Chateau. Whenever that music starts, that means bunions take your course. Oh, my. Pop them. Now, look at this. Right foot. Left. Right again. They can't see me, but I don't want to cheat them. All these birdies. This is what we call the Cincinnati twist. Over the ride, huh? Over the ride, right. <laughs> I believe I'm from Indiana myself, tell you the truth. <laughs> Look here, here's the Indiana step. Heel. Toe. Heel. Heel and toe. And heel and toe. Ah. Ah. Just, a, just a little drum trap. I got to get back on the left. No, sir. Now, you want to hear something pretty? Listen to those fiddles. <laughs> That's what we call Grand Opera with the Bunions. Talk it, fiddles, I hear you. Don't talk about it, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I think everybody should get happy right here. Listen, Joe. And I smile. That makes you happy. That I smile. That makes you happy. I'll tell you, I'm smiling too. Now, a little while ago, you 
spoke about Lenox Avenue. Well, Sunday's a pretty good day. But Saturday night is the night. <laughs> Everybody in Harlem grabbed the girls and they say, listen, folks, let's do that Lindsay Hop. Let's do that Lindsay Hop. Let's do that. Look here, you didn't know this. Oh. I forgot I didn't have my car. I better go back cabin, had it. <laughs> Indeed, Broadway misses the great Bill Robinson, Bo Jangles, and it'll be a long time before we find a performer with his vitality and joy. And now, the great experience in listening that we promised you, the Radio Network debut of the great contralto, Marian Anderson. The date is February 2nd, 1936. The program, The Magic Key of RCA. And here is Milton Cross as he introduced this historic event. Marian Anderson recently returned from several seasons of concert giving abroad. But her foreign triumphs were as nothing compared to her success at home. Following her first Carnegie Hall concert a few weeks ago, Metropolitan music critics vied with each other in printing reviews overflowing with enthusiastic adjectives. They left no room for doubting that American music has acquired a new concert star of heroic importance. In her first radio appearance since returning to the United States, the magic key of RCA turns to Marian Anderson singing the aria O Mio Fernando from Donizetti's opera La Favorita.
Marian Anderson, one of the distinguished artists of our age, as she first appeared on NBC 21 years ago. We'll be able to dig into our sound library for many more great moments of this sort in the weeks to come. And such a moment on the lighter side was a program premiere on May the 17th in 1938. Information, please. Yes, a craze was started then. The love of wide information and encyclopedic knowledge. And here's the way it sounded the first time it went on the air. We present tonight the first in a series of programs called Information, Please. A new type question and answer contest in which you, the very much quizzed public, will quiz the professors. Yes, the worm turns, and now the experts will have to know the answers to your questions or else. Or else, you win $5. Now, there are other rules governing this contest, but I'm going to let our master of ceremonies, Clifton Fadiman, give you that information. I want you to meet our intellectual Simon Legree, the Toscanini of quiz, Clifton Fadiman. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Before I give you any more details regarding the rules of information, please, let me tell you about the board of experts for tonight's broadcast. They face me. First, Bernard Jaffe, head of the physical science department of Bushwick High School. Next, we have Mr. Marcus Duffield, day news editor of the Herald Tribune. Third, we have uh, Dr. Harry Overstreet, a genuine dyed-in-the-wool professor of philosophy at the College of the City of New York. And finally... We have Franklin P. Adams, known to millions, I wouldn't be exaggerating if I said thousands, <laughs> as uh, FPA, creator of the famous humorous column, The Conning Tower. Here they sit, these four towering intellects. On their faces is a look of confidence, <laughs> which I believe to be entirely false. <laughs> now, folks, any education that you and I may pick up for the next half hour or so is all to the good. But beyond that, we're out simply to play this as a game and have some fun at it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are ready for the first question. It comes to us from Mr. Gordon Kahn of Brooklyn, New York. Kahn will read his question himself. What kind of fathead can be boiled in oil with impunity? Do I believe my ears? <laughs> what kind of fathead can be boiled in oil with impunity? I suppose impunity is some sort of sauce that you boil along with oil. <laughs> What kind of fathead can be boiled in oil with impunity? Gentlemen, I'm going to give you ten seconds on that one. The head of a calf. I beg your pardon? C-A-L-F. C-A-L-F. No. I haven't got that down on my notes here. Must be wrong. What kind of fathead can be boiled in oil with impunity? That impunity is what stumps me. <laughs> Who let that fathead in here anyway? <laughs> oh, no, Mr. Duffield. <laughs> Dr. Jaffe, it seems to me that ought to be in your line. You're a chemist. Are you calling me a fathead? No, it's not. <laughs> it seems to me that an atmosphere of general insult has already been established. <laughs> in order to pour oil with impunity on the troubled waters... I will now tell you that the kind of fathead that can be boiled in oil, thank you very much, is a fish named fathead to be found off the coast of California. <laughs> and furthermore, the man who sent the question received the tremendous sum of $5. <laughs> well, between you and me, 
Somehow, I think it was more fun back then. Now, let's really go back to radio's early days. Paul Kahlberg in Madison, Wisconsin, asked us to reach way back for this one. So here it is. Imagine, if you please, it's 1926, and you are listening to one of radio's first popular bands playing from the ballroom of Kansas City's Mulebach Hotel. The original Kansas City Nighthawks, the Coon Sanders Band, playing the Nighthawk Blues. Coon Sanders, great dancing around the old speaker horn. Joe Sanders, by the way, lives in Kansas City right now, and we hope he caught that echo from the past and lived it again along with us. Letters and suggestions from you listeners help me in accumulating material for each week's program, you know. So if you'd like to, please write a note. Send it to me, Ed Herlihy, H-E-R-L-I-H-Y, care of NBC, 30 Rockefeller Plaza, New York. If you just want to drop a card to say that you enjoyed tonight's program, fine. Please do. I had a postcard this week from Augsburg, Germany. 
And our Master Sergeant, Gene Castle, tells us that he hears recollections over the Armed Forces Network out of Munich. We certainly do get around. Well, next week, a musical salute to Irving Berlin by some of radio's early favorites. Please tune in. Perhaps it will bring back recollections. Until then, this is Ed Hurleyhe saying good night, everyone. Ed Hurleyhe has been your host on Recollections. Join him next week at this time for more highlights in the history of radio broadcasting. This is Fred Collins. Recollections is an NBC Radio Network production directed by Bob Bauer. NBC takes you across the nation, around the world, with news on the hour and the exciting hotline service all day, every day, on most of these stations. We hope you are enjoying the old-time radio programs on the Radio Then.Network podcast. You will find many biographies and audio clips from the past on our blog. www.radiothen.network Check it out and bookmark the blog which also indexes our podcasts. www.radiothen.network